If you are looking for a happy place, you have found it. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings wherever you're listening in in the world, however you may be listening. We are thrilled to have you here. I'm your host, J.R. Houston, for the podcast dedicated to bringing you closer to your peak happiness through powerful positive psychology, relatable stories and insights, and some fun along the way as well. So overjoyed that you are with us once again and glad to have our partners with us. Live Happy Magazine, available on newsstands everywhere, also Available through the Apple uh, iTunes Store and through Google Play. Had to think about it for a minute there. There's so many ways to get it. And we also want to thank our partner, Life Reimagined. Their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of processes and resources for you that will serve that end of finding your peak happiness. They say as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Find out at lifereimagined.org slash happy. Very, very timely topic here today as we release this the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And there's a lot of holiday dinners coming up. We know that. And we are excited to be talking about Ann K. Fischel, Ph.D., Director of the Family and Couple Therapy Program at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, an Associate Clinical Professor of Psychology at Harvard Medical School, and co-founder of The Family Dinner Project, a nonprofit group that works online and in person to help families have healthy and enjoyable dinners as well as meaningful conversation at the table. We are going to explore why a family dinner is great for the body, mind, and mental health of every member of your family, as well as some tips for making the conversation around the dinner table interesting, lively, and meaningful. You know, reading through some of the things, some of the research you've put out and, and a lot of the, the tips that you've given for folks in our magazine and elsewhere, it just seems like so much common sense that family dinners would be a source of happiness for people. But, but what got you interested in looking into this? Well, there were really at least two sources. One is that my husband gave up smoking when my second son was born. And I thought to myself, what can I do to make his life a little easier? And I thought, I'll make him a great family dinner. Um, and, you know, I had two small boys. I was working. It was not that easy, as I think it's it's not so easy, even though most parents know that it's a good idea. It's not that easy to come up with a dinner night after night. But I started to do it, and there were unintended consequences, um, the best of which was that my two little boys loved to clatter pots and pans while I cooked, and they liked to stir the soup and sort of help out, and it was really a fun time of the day. And then when they came to the table to eat, they felt they were stakeholders. And really from an early age, they were very adventurous eaters. Anything they had touched in the kitchen, they wanted to to eat. And that really started us sort of on a roll of trying new foods and playing with food. So that was kind of the first inkling I got that I was onto something really special. And then I guess the other thing was sort of an aha moment that happened as a family therapist. I I see families, I see patients in my home office, and it sits right below the kitchen in my home. Mm -hmm. And I would put a chicken or a lasagna into the oven and then go downstairs and see the family. And one night, I had put a chicken in, and I was seeing a family with a father and son who really were not speaking to each other. It was extremely tense and uncomfortable. 
And about halfway through, we all started to smell the garlic and the lemon floating through the the air air drafts. And it was a little embarrassing and made more so when the teenage boy turned to me and said, can we stay for dinner? (laughs) And (laughs) I realized not only could he not stay for dinner, but what were they going to do? It was going to be 7 o'clock when they left. They were probably going to go to a fast food joint. And I thought, you know, you would be so much better off if you would just leave right now, take a cookbook, and go home and cook and have dinner together. And, of course, I didn't say that out loud. But, you know, in fact, the research kind of bears me out that the very things that I try to do as a family therapist, many of them could take place if families had regular family dinners. So, you know, families who eat regularly together feel more connected to one another. There's less stress. There's less depression and anxiety. There are lower rates of high-risk behaviors like substance abuse and teenage pregnancy and eating disorders. You know, isn't this exactly what I'm trying to do as a family therapist? So, you know, I didn't shove a cookbook at them, but I did make a note to myself to add, from that point on to ask every family that I see in therapy, do you have family dinner? If not, could we talk about how you might be able to have it once or twice a week? Um, and I also started a, a nonprofit uh, called the co-founded a nonprofit called the Family Dinner Project, which helps families um, unlock these benefits to, you know, makes it easier for families to have healthy dinner and more fun at the table and more interesting conversation. There's all kinds of benefits, I think, that that folks can find uh, as they they go down this path of of having more family dinners. What what do you think is the biggest benefit, and what what does the research say uh, is the biggest benefit? Uh, Well, there are about 20 years of scientific studies, probably over 100 studies, and they show that regular family dinners are great for the the body, the brain, and the spirit. So I'll just say a couple things about a couple of the highlight studies of each of those. For the brain, um, family dinners are associated with higher grades in school. And for young kids, the dinner conversation is a better vocabulary booster than even reading aloud to kids. And that's because the conversation tends to be so much um, richer in new words and kids who know, who have better vocabularies are better readers. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the highlights for the brain. And for the body, uh, it turns out that kids who grow up having regular family dinners 10 years later have lower rates of obesity. Um, you know, as young adults are eating healthier, more fruits and vegetables, um, and as kids are less likely to be obese as well. And in terms of the spirit or the mental health, um, you know, as I was saying kind of earlier, it's associated with lower rates of depression and anxiety and high-risk behaviors um, that, you know, parents fear. Uh, So, you know, it's associated with lower rates of teenage pregnancy and substance abuse and tobacco use. 
It makes them feel – I would imagine it would make the kids and the parents feel like they're more a part of something, which uh, through the research that we've been doing on this program, feeling a part of something uh, leads directly to increased happiness. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's it's really a – it's a ritual, um, mm-hmm. which is something that's so good for kids and adults. It's a time and place during the day – when you can kind of block out the the hubbub of the you know everyday frenzy frenzy of the of the day and just really stop and turn off technology and focus on each other and i think you know most most families know this intuitively that it it feels good and uh that it's good for them absolutely now, I know there are people that are listening to this and they say, okay, well, that's all well and good and it, and, and it sounds like a great idea, but we just don't have time to do that. And, and I've been, I'm thinking it's been, a, it's been a while since I've been a kid where our family was trying to have dinners together, but even then that was the excuse. Well, we just don't have time. What are some of the excuses or obstacles that people run into and, and what are your uh, tips for dealing with those? Sure. So, yeah, you you put your finger on the the number one, which is time. We're all so busy. Um, Parents are, you know, often working two jobs or both parents are working and kids have incredibly busy schedules with sports and uh, theater and everything else. Um, So, you know, there are a couple of, of ideas I have. One is if dinner every night dinner is too hard, then throw in some breakfasts or throw in uh, a a weekend lunch or make an intentional time at 9 o'clock where everybody stops what they're doing and gathers around to have fruit and cheese and hot chocolate and conversation. Mm. So that that would be one idea. Um, And the other is to um, make some shortcuts so that dinner is not such a heavy lift and to be sure to to try to get help from a partner if you have a partner or start teaching your kids how to cook so that they can uh, be a help as they get older. There's, you know, nothing nothing worse than having it on one person's shoulders night after Absolutely. night. Yeah, that's, that's um, the way I learned how to cook was my mom would make, <laughs> would make us kids uh, uh, learn how to cook some meals on occasion. Well, it's great. I, I, one of my, my proudest things as being a, a feminist is um, teaching my boys to, to lean in at home. <laughs> get, get that housework done, boys. Yeah, that's, that's what yeah, we have. Well, yeah, well, cooking anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, some other um, things to, for very busy parents is uh, to make one meal that can be repurposed the next night, like roasting a chicken and then turning it into chicken soup the next night, or making double batches of soups or stews and freezing half so that next week it's like you have a sous chef. You just take it out of the freezer and there it is. Mm. Um, And there are a ton of recipes both in my book and um, on the Family Dinner Project website that take less than 30 minutes and have fewer than eight ingredients. That, that would certainly save a lot of time for a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. You know, as we've been talking about this, I, I, I've been thinking back to, to some of my family dinners. And uh, the best family dinner I ever had, and this might sound weird, but, but follow me here. The best family dinner we ever had was the yeah. lunch 
after my grandfather's funeral. And here's why. Because my great uncles were there. Mm. And my great uncles had stories about when my grandpa was a boy and, and my great grandfather and his and his father and on and on and on. And we never heard those stories until that day. You suggest that telling stories at these family meals is a very important part of that meal. Why is that? Yes. Oh, that I, I love that story. Um, and yeah, kids who know their the stories of their families uh, – this, there's been research done by Marshall Duke and his colleagues at uh, Emory showing that kids who know their family stories are more resilient and have higher self-esteem because they feel they're part of something bigger than themselves, I think. And they also see that there are lots of ways to to live a life other than what they see in their own home. And stories can inspire and they can make us laugh and they can teach us how um, – to overcome adversity. So, yes, I think storytelling is such an important part of a child's life. Well, all of our lives, I think, story, it's how we make sense of the world, really. Um, and since we don't, we don't write letters anymore, which was a, a place we would tell stories, and we don't mm-hmm. sit around campfires, um, the dinner table is really the main place to tell stories. And um, I think... With Thanksgiving coming up, that there's a kind of a treasure trove of stories at most of our Thanksgiving tables. Um, but it could be on any tired Wednesday night, you know, asking, uh, uh, telling a story about a, a love story or a story about uh, a recipe, maybe a recipe you're you're eating that night, or a story about when you were the same age as your child is now. Um, or a story about how you chose your child's name, mm-hmm. um, or an immigration story. You know, there are just so many stories to be told and retold. Um, a good story can, you know, certainly can be told over and over again. And I think you gave some ways for folks, and you mentioned we are we are uh, launching this podcast just a couple of days before Thanksgiving, but even if, if folks aren't listening to it prior to that, we've got Christmas coming up and all kinds of uh, family dinners uh, coming up in our future. You gave them suggestions for ways that that even the younger folks can even start the conversation, like, hey, Uncle Tom, uh, uh, what, what do you remember what it was like uh, going to Thanksgivings when you were a kid? What was that like? I mean, things like that can, can be yes. definitely useful. Yes. Right. They're, they're stories that really just start right at the table. Uh, yes, tell me about your Thanksgiving when you were my age, or what's the worst kitchen disaster that happened at, <laughs> at one of your Thanksgivings? Um, uh, or, you know, is there any time that you couldn't get to Thanksgiving because something happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, these would all be starting points. Or what, you know, what foods did you eat that, that comforted you when you were a child? Um, who came to Thanksgiving when you were growing up? Who was considered family? Mm-hmm. Um, who was the person that you dreaded coming to the Thanksgiving table? <laughs> Tell a story about that person. Um, Absolutely. There, there's so many avenues that, that you can go down that, that really start that conversation. It's, it's very yeah. interesting. Yes. You also mentioned that families should play with their food. 
what does that mean and why is that important? <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little subversive. Um, yeah, we're not like building mashed potato sandcastles, or, or, or are we? I don't know. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean a couple of things. Actually, there was a study done that showed that kids who play tactilely, like playing with mashed potatoes, are less likely to be uh, picky eaters. But... Hmm. I'm I'm thinking about a little bit more broadly. Um, I think that food is one of the last things that we actually touch and smell and can play with as our lives have become more and more virtual. And it's something that we can do together. So it might be coloring, uh, making uh, icing and decorating cookies, playing with color, or it might be putting out all the ingredients for a salad and saying to your family, take whatever you want, make a car or a face or a plant or a landscape out of the carrots and red peppers, and we'll take some pictures. And the only thing is you have to eat whatever you're, you played with. Excellent. Um, or, um, you know, I'm, I put in a, a secret ingredient in the in the meal today see if you can guess what it is um, or let's let's play some games at the table which often you know kind of lightens the mood and keeps kids wanting to stay longer at the table so i'm going to i'll play a game with you if that's okay mm-hmm. that i might play at the table okay i might say um, I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie about myself. Okay. And you have to guess which it is. All right. So let's see. I lived on a commune after I graduated from high school. I was in a traveling clown troupe in college, and I studied <laughs> cooking in Italy. I, uh, I'm going to guess, oddly enough, I'm going to guess that the Italy cooking in Italy is a lie. That's you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I thought the clown troop might be too obvious. That sounds strange enough to be true, but the other one, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the cooking in Italy was a wish. Yeah, um, which which could be another game, um, or with younger kids, you know, you might play. Would you rather? Would you rather eat worms or eat ants? Would you rather be able to fly or swim underwater? You know, um, right. So there, you know, there are all kinds of games that are, you know, that can be kind of silly, um, but can also get kids talking. Um, tell me uh, a rose and a thorn and a bud about your day. A, a rose would be something positive or fun that happened. A thorn is something difficult or challenging, and a bud is something you hope will happen tomorrow. Excellent. Um, I like that. I, they they all spark conversations, which you might not otherwise be able to have. Because sometimes, if you just sit down and you go, "Well, hey, Junior, how was your day?" Mm. Mm, right, monosyllabic answer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, I, you you want to ask the open ended questions. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a little bit more about the family dinner project. Sure. Um, so this is a nonprofit uh, that I was a co-founder of starting in 2010, and it is devoted to helping families have more family dinners and family dinners that are filled with 
healthy food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. And we have uh, many, many free online resources, um, a newsletter that comes out once a month, uh, uh, dinner tonight cards that you can look at every single day that have a recipe and a game and a conversation starter, uh, a four-week program. And then we also uh, work with communities. So we've worked uh, at the Mayo Clinic. We've worked with uh, military families, um, with libra- at libraries. We, we do community dinners often where we bring um, anywhere from five to 50 families together. And we have a great family dinner. We cook together. We eat together. We play games. We have conversation starters. We talk with parents, and they share their own strategies for overcoming some of the common obstacles like not enough time or picky eaters or tension at the table. Um, and then it kind of inspires the families to and you know, kind of energizes them to commit to family dinner. And then we might all come back again a month later after they do the four-week program or, or whatever. And we've taken this, this model really all over the country um, with so many different groups, after-school programs, WISE, um, as I said, library schools, clinics, uh, homeless shelter, so, uh, it's, cool. it, yeah, it's it's it sounds like a, a fantastic project, and and folks can can get involved and and really see their their happiness increase. I would think by being a part of those types of uh, programs. Yes, absolutely. It's just so doable. You know, it, we we saw that there were all these benefits, and you know, parents were find are finding it hard to to access them because you know, of the, some of the obstacles we've talked about. So the Family Dinner Project was really an attempt to make it easier for families um, so that they could enjoy family dinner and could do it more often. For sure, for sure. Well, we're talking with uh, Dr. Ann Fischel here. The book is called Home for Dinner, Mixing Food, Fun, and Conversation for a Happier Family and Healthier Kids. Uh, where can folks uh, pick that book up? Uh, it's available all online bookstores. Um, I believe it's available in a lot of traditional bookstores as well. And you could also get it through my publisher, Amacom. Excellent. And also be sure to check out, folks, we've, uh, we've got Anne's Holiday Gathering Tips in the latest issue of Live Happy Magazine. Some good stuff in there. And we are so grateful that you took some time here on this uh, busy holiday week and uh, season to spend with us and, and give us some tips and some insights into how our family dinners can help us increase our happiness. We're, we're very grateful for that. Oh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. And if you'd like to learn more and get a free chapter of Anne's book, Home for Dinner, you can visit livehappynow.com. While you're online, hey, let us know what you thought of this episode of Live Happy Now or any other episode or something you'd like to hear in a future episode. We love interacting with you. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy. You can find us on Instagram by searching mylivehappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. For Ann K. Fischel, I am J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you. And remember to always live happy.